Welcome to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast, where we explore the conscious use of technology. Listen in to hear thought leaders and other guests discuss the human relationship with technology and learning to thrive in the digital era. Hosted by the author of the international best-selling digital self-mastery series and being at work, Dr. Heidi Forbes Usta. Welcome back to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast. My name is Dr. Heidi Forbes-Usta, and today I'd like to introduce you to a new friend of mine, Tracy Pei. She is the founder of Misorganized, and she is a feng shui expert, which is so exciting to me because we all need to be a little more organized and in a fluid relationship with everything that's going on in our lives. And if I understand it correctly, she might know a few things about that. Welcome, Tracy. Hi, how are you? So excited to be on your show. I'm so excited to have you here. So for those of you, or for those of the uh, my guests out there who are not familiar with feng shui, can you explain a little bit about sort of what is this sort of mysterious word we keep hearing? Yeah, you know, it's funny to me because feng shui is actually an ancient Chinese art that's existed for 3,000, at least 3,000, maybe 5,000 years, somewhere in that range. And it's amazing to me how many people have never even heard about it. And when I ask them, do you know anything about feng shui? I ask all my clients, I ask them before I even start with them, are you familiar with feng shui? Are you interested in feng shui? And if they do know, they know extremely little about it. But I will make it very easy for you because it can actually get very complicated. There's about six different schools of feng shui and they all have their different philosophies, of course, and they use different methods. The particular one that I follow is a westernized version of feng shui. And the easiest way to understand how feng shui works is you just think about it in terms of energy, okay? So everything is energy. That is not frou-frou-la-la. That is a fact that everything is energy. And energy is vibrational. Low, mid, high, it vibrates high, it vibrates low. And what happens is in our homes, according to the feng shui that I follow, every part of your home is associated with an area of your life. So as an example, when you walk in through your front door, the upper left-hand corner of your home, that's the money corner of your home. The upper right-hand corner of your home, that's the relationship corner of your home. And there's nine different, they call them corners in feng shui, but you can also refer to them as areas or spaces. But there's nine different corners in your house that are in conjunction with the areas of your life. So as an example, in the money corner of your house, again, we're going back to energy. If you have low energy in that part of your house, it is going to reflect in that part of your life. So something as simple as a dead plant, right? It's, it's pretty common sense if you think about it, that a dead plant is not going to be as energetically positive or high as a thriving plant, like say like a succulent. Succulents are great for feng shui. So what would happen is, is that would create what's called an energetic block in that space, And that energetic block can impact that area of your life. So something as simple as putting a new plant in there can change the energy. So again, just to kind of sum it up, it's really about energy. It's just about keeping the energy in your home as high as possible. And in feng shui, there's things called cures. So there's things that you can do to raise the energy, such as using crystals, such as using plants, colors, the way you position your furniture. But again, it's all about making the energy in your home as high as possible. So those parts of your life are thriving as much as possible. I love that. And I think it's so relevant, particularly right now, because 
I often talk about sort of creating your ecosystem within your home and your your tech ecosystem, but your your ecosystem in your home and the, in your ecosystem in your workspaces. And right now, those two are overlapping a lot. And so when we look at it, I, I'd love to sort of look at this in the context of not just in the home, but in sort of our workspaces and how we create those spaces that energy can flow in a way that really helps us be productive and make mm-hmm. the money that we need to make, but also create those peaceful environments that allow us that time for pause. And we talk a lot on this show about sort of, you know, electromagnetic frequencies and being careful about where we place different things, everything from your router to to speakers and things like that. And a lot of people now are really sort of, you know, they've got the uh, Amazon or Siri or whatever it is that, you know, Alexa's popping up every time you mention her name somewhere in your house. And that's <laughs> different energy as well. So I'm curious, I mean, you talk about the money corner. Does that apply the same when you're looking at an office environment? Or is that also, you know, would you, for example, if you're going to create your home office, which as we know right now, maybe that home office or school is in, you know, each room has its own space. Would you put that, you know, that active space in the money corner or would you put it somewhere else? Hmm. That's a really good question. The way that feng shui works is that you can apply it per room, you can apply it per the entire house, and you can also apply it per the entire house plus the landscape. So for instance, like your backyard, your front yard, you can apply it in your office, you can apply it in your car, it can be applied anywhere as long as you follow the general principles. So, uh, you know, again, the one that I follow, uh, it uses what's called the Bagua map. And that's spelled B-A-G-U-A. Bog, it looks like bag, Yua, I guess, ba- Bagua map, okay? And this points out where the different areas are in your home. But, you know, so when I say the upper left-hand corner, it, does, it doesn't matter what space you're in. If you're following this particular feng shui, the upper left-hand corner, you can walk into your room and the upper left-hand corner of your room, that's the money corner. You can walk into your entire house and the whole entire, in the upper left-hand corner of the entire house is the money corner. So there's different areas of the house. So for instance, like there's also a helpful people in travel corner. There's also a skills and knowledge area. And there's also a career section. The particular feng shui I follow, the reason why I was drawn to this one is because it's very intuitive. And we're all intuitive when it comes to feng shui. Just some of us are a little bit more, can get a sense of that better than others. So to me, it's really about how you feel. So let's just say that your, your money corner, you're thinking, well, let me put my office at home in my money corner. That makes the most sense, right? But let's just say that your money corner just happens to be your kid's bedroom. And they like curtains in there that are dark. You know, they like the blackout curtains. So you don't get a whole lot of light in that space. Then it doesn't make much sense for you to sit in that space because you're not going to feel good. And that's the other part about this. We have to understand that when it comes to energy, that our energy is not there's, there's energy in our feelings and there's energy in our thoughts, right? So if you are sitting in the money corner of the house and you feel like unproductive because the lighting isn't good, which believe it or not, that is a feng shui technique. I found it's the number one reason why people have a difficult time working in certain spaces is because of the lighting. Mm. If it doesn't feel right in that space, you're not going to be productive. You're not going, your energy is not going to be as high as possible. 
So then maybe it makes more sense, even if though it doesn't, you know, fit within the feng shui rules of, you know, sitting in your relationship corner for your, you know, your office, at least you feel better in that space. And that's just going to raise the overall energy in the entire home. But if you go, like, say, if you work, you know, well, obviously we're, we're not doing that right now, but if you go into an office that's offsite from your home, you know, same thing, you know, the money corner of your office might be, you know, a window that's looking into the office of the uh, other office. And that's not going to feel right to you. So you want to place yourself where it feels the best to you. Do the best that you can to follow the feng shui principles. But at the end of the day, I always go with what feels right. I don't care if the books say, turn your couch this way. If I turn my couch this way and I'm sitting on the couch and it doesn't feel right to me, it's not the best feng shui for me in that environment. I think that's a really good point because there's uh, rules and then there's there's what feels right. And I think that that's exactly. something that... That needs that applies in so many other areas as well. It's like, well, you have to. There, there's no perfect no. scenario one for anything. All, you know? There's no one size fits all. And I mean, no. you look at an entire building, and not everybody can be in the you know the southwest corner. It just doesn't right, work, exactly. right? Right. So you don't all get that perfect amount of sun. So what are some of the things that you can do to compensate for that? You talked a little bit about plants. What about using artificial lighting. And I don't necessarily mean, you know, obviously fluorescent is something that you know we try to avoid, but right. what are some other things that you can do to compensate for that, to make sure that you're at least harnessing the energy in the most positive way? Right. So that's where feng shui cures come in. You know, all of our homes, all of our spaces are not going to be in the ideal feng shui, like you were saying, Southwest corner, you know, it's, it's just, they're not going to be set up that way. In every single space. So we can use what's called feng shui cures to rectify those situations where the energy might be lower. So as an example, like I was saying before, in the, in the money corner, you have a dead plant, put in a healthy plant. <laughs> it's very, I mean, if you think about it, really, it's just kind of common sense. If you are walking into, Everybody knows because again, you know, it's, it's, it's an intuitive kind of thing. You, you know, when you walk into a room, if it feels right to you or not, you just know it. You might not be able to figure out what it is exactly that's making you not feel right, but you know it on an intuitive level. So something as simple as walking into, say, I don't know, your living room and you have the couch positioned in a certain way so that when you're walking from point A to point B, it's a really small little narrow opening. Believe it or not, that can cause an energetic block. And it doesn't feel right to you because you know it when you're walking by, you're just maybe you have to shift your body just a little bit in order to be able to walk through. It doesn't feel right. So something as simple as turning your furniture to face a different direction. Colors are very effective. If you look at the Bagua map, it is a rec it looks like a rectangle that's divided into nine squares. And each one of those squares, if you look it up online, you'll see that each one of these squares is a different color. And colors are very important in feng shui because colors have their own energetic vibration as well. If you think about it, what color do they use for the matadors that have the bolts, right? They're using, they're using the red, red flags. I don't know what those are, right? Because that is, that is a, that's a power color. That is a, that's a color that is an excitable color, charge, you know, versus brown. That is a color that's found in nature which is a very grounding kind of color, right? So like, say as an example, how I would use, let's just use a real life practical application of a feng shui cure. Let's just say, for instance, 
I have a mom who's just recently gotten divorced and she's got a couple kids. In the kids' bedroom, I wouldn't put the color green on that child's walls because green in nature represents growth and change. This kid's already going through enough change. I'm getting goosebumps as I'm talking about it, actually, right? You know, that's, that's always a sign that I'm on the right path. Somebody, somebody needs to hear what I just said. But you want to ground that child because they're already experiencing so much change in their life and you want to keep them stabilized and grounded in their emotions. So you would use colors from browns, you know, or like say tans and that will just, you know, ground them a little bit. Or my favorite color to use in feng shui is purple. You would not believe how effective purple is to use. And it could be just something as simple as an orchid a purple pillow. I've actually even had one time I, I met this girl and we were talking and she was giving me her situation that she had just graduated from school. She's been out of school for three months. She's been looking for work, did some you know questions about her home, found out uh, where her, her money corner was. I told her to put some purple there. She literally tore a page out of a magazine with the color purple in it, put it in that corner. I think about a week later, she found work. It sounds really crazy. I know a lot of feng shui, a lot of people think feng shui is just nuts. And there are some things about it that sound really nuts, but it's also very common sense. So crystals are also very effective. Crystals are extremely effective. Uh, One little trick, if you are going to use crystals that people who aren't familiar with crystals need to make sure that they cleanse them, cleanse them. I usually try to cleanse my crystals at least once a month around the full moon or the new moon. Because the energy from the moon, it's usually pretty powerful anyways, but around that time, it's very, very powerful. So it charges and cleanses your crystals so they can be more effective. Plants are great. I particularly love one of my favorite feng shui plants. Is the, it's called the ZZ plant. I don't know about you, but I'm not real good at keeping plants alive. <laughs> so the ZZ plant is extremely hardy. doesn't need much attention. It's beautiful. Another one is water. As an example, at your front door, a water fountain at your front door can bring money into your house. A fountain that you put on your desk can bring money into your business. What I'm saying is, is that if you do have things in your home that could cause low energetic vibration, there are cures. Sometimes it's an architectural issue. So, you know, you can't go and rip out, you know, you can't put the addition onto that side of the house. So it fills in the house. It's a perfect rectangle, but you can use plants. You can use crystals. You can use colors. So not all hope is lost is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, and I think it was interesting going back to your comment about change and color. I think right now we're in this phase where there's a lot of change going on and there's a lot of people are just unsure about the future. What is going to, what is the change going to be? Or is the change going to be going back to the old norm, or is there going to be a new norm? And what does that mean? And that's causing a lot of anxiety. So it sounds like we should be staying away from green and maybe thinking a little bit more about creating some spaces that are incorporating the the purples, but it may not necessarily be your favorite color. So there may be right. other ways of introducing it, if I'm understanding you correctly, that you could, you know, maybe have something on your desk that's purple, and you don't necessarily need to be looking at it, but it can just right. be there. It just has a presence. Yeah. And I, you know, as you were talking about plants, I had a, a similar response of sort of, oh, I'm terrible at plants. I, I'm not very good at taking care of plants. And yet, I have a friend who gave me branch of this succulent something. I don't even know what it is. It's like a rubber tree or something. She gave it to me. 
you know, it was a cut, it was a cutting from one of hers probably six years ago, maybe even more, seven years ago, and just, you know, planted it. And I think it came in like a Dixie cup. And Mm. it's now, you know, every year we move it to something bigger. That poor thing goes months (laughs) of being unattended and then we dump water (laughs) on it and it just keeps alive. It's amazing to me. But Isn't that amazing? That's the kind of plant that I can take care of. It has right. to be able to survive if it gets neglected, but then, you know, it occasionally gets a lot of loving, which in most cases, you know, with a succulent, I would kill it because I give it too much water. It goes from nothing <laughs> to too much. And I guess in a way, it's sort of finding that thing that intuitively works with your flow. Absolutely. Is what, what 100%. I'm That's an excellent way to put it, 100%. Yeah. So I'm curious, I mean, because we are coming into this space of, of having to create these productive spaces, and each individual in the household has to create their own productive space. And then, of course, you look at the bigger system of the whole household and shared spaces. Right. And there's a lot of technology that does disrupt the, you know, the vibrations. Are there some things that we can think about that can help each individual find their feng shui within their spaces, but also to unify that space, particularly the shared spaces? What are some tips that you can recommend for that? So as far as individual spaces, yeah, those are two different subject matters altogether, you know, your personal space and then a shared space. So when it comes to a personal space, whenever I'm working with my clients on setting up their, I call them productivity areas. So your workspace is your productivity area. This is where you're performing productive activities, hopefully. I have found that there are three components to setting up a workspace that is productive as possible for you. The first one is the lighting. Like I was saying Mm -hmm. before, I can't tell you how many times I work in somebody's home where they have a designated office and they've got their furniture and they've got their printer and they've got their bookcase and they've got everything set up in there, but they're not sitting in there. And then sure enough, there's like papers all over their desk and, you know, just clutter, whatever. And they're taking their work and they're going to the kitchen table. That is almost always where the the workspace winds up being usually because it's brighter in that area. And then unfortunately, you wind up with papers all over the dining room table. And sometimes people can't even sit at their dining room tables, right? But that's where the lighting is. So that's the very first thing I always tell people is that pick a space in your house where the lighting works for you. I actually use, I'm in my bedroom right now, and I use, it's a full spectrum light. It's by Ot Light, and it simulates natural lighting so that I don't, feel like I'm, you know, sitting under the fluorescent light kind of feeling. And I can move this thing anywhere I go, you know? So if I want to work in my bedroom, boom, it's right there. If I want to work at the dining room table, boom, it's right there. So I recommend getting, if the lighting isn't sufficient in the space that you are working in to get some additional lighting, full spectrum, natural lighting is perfect. Alt light. I think this thing, I got it at Barnes and Noble that even exists anymore for, I don't know, 40 bucks, maybe. So lighting is extremely important. Second thing is from a feng shui perspective, one of the things that you want to avoid is sitting in a space where your back is to the door. Obviously, we're not all going to have the option to be able to sit in a direction where the back isn't to our door. But if you can, you want to be able to have a view of who's coming. Because if you think about it, what it does is it actually activates that kind of primitive part of our brain that's like, you know, who's coming up behind me? Who's Mm. coming up behind me? What's going on behind me, right? And it makes it difficult to focus. There's some people that 
it's not going to really bother them because they can get super focused, but there is kind of going to kind of be that like subconscious, like, ah, who's there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little, little, totally little side tip here. But I always tell my lady friends, I'm like, look, if you want your husband or your boyfriend or your date to pay attention to you when you're talking to them, say, if you go to a restaurant, always position them so that, you know, let, make sure that they get the position where they're looking at the front door, because then that's not going to be activating that caveman primitive part of their brain. That's like, I got to protect everybody. I got to make sure I'm surveying the land, right? So it kind of applies too when you're sitting at your desk. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think, you know, I try to always have a workspace that I'm looking out a window. I'm very fortunate that I live in an area where that's mostly been possible for me. But certainly sometimes that does mean that the, you know, there is the, the door behind you. And for those of you, most of you are actually listening to this podcast, you won't be seeing it, but I actually use a tatami screen behind me so that I can remove all that distraction of that sort of alert. What's going on behind me? Where, you know, right, is there right, anything right. happening? And I mean, it could just be, you know, the dog moves or whatever it is, but there is that instinctual response to right. what's happening behind you. So I, I totally get that. I think that's really, really interesting. I wonder if there's a technology piece to that of, you know, what kinds of things can we use that will help us really identify sort of where we are? Because I think a lot of people don't really have that awareness of what's going on, of their sort of reaction to things. Have you ever, are there any technologies that you use in your practice to help people sort of become more grounded or to become more aware of their surroundings and whether that's using it for mapping so that they can physically see this is what you're setting up for yourself. Maybe you could reorient it this way so you can get sort of a bird's eye view or I'm just throwing things out there. But I, I think some people use different metrics tools that I've seen sort of like a divining rod type thing that can uh, measure energy in different rooms. Or do you purely go from what feels instinctually for you and use your own body technology for that? Oh, interesting. Well, with that being said, the other piece that I was going to say that's really important when it comes to your productivity, setting up your space for your productivity is that what you have to realize is there are some people that work better sitting at a desk. There's some people that work better sitting at a desk, looking out a window. There are some people that if they look out the window, they're too distracted. There's some people that have to look at the wall because it keeps them focused. There's some people, I actually had a client once that say, if I position my desk, so I'm looking at the wall, I'm going to feel like I'm in detention. So they can't have that. There's some people that prefer working on their beds. You know, especially there's some kids, you know, if there's a book that I absolutely love, and it was a game changer for me in my business. It's called Organizing the Disorganized Child. And it goes into setting a child's workspace and also addressing their homework binders, addressing their backpacks, addressing their lockers at their school. Do kids even have lockers anymore? But they, no, <laughs> remember those days where we had lockers? I know. Yeah, now they got to carry like 20 pound backpacks on their back. It drives me insane. Anyways, but they have different areas for all these different things. So in this book, it addresses that there are some kids that they do better. They're going to be more productive with their work if they are sitting on their beds. And I will tell you that there are some parents that fight against it. They're like, oh, my kid, oh, they just want to sit on their bed, you know, and do their homework. And it's just so lazy. I'm like, are you kidding me? They're comfortable because they're considered what's called in this book. It's called a cozy spatial. Cozy spatial people need to, I'm a cozy spatial. I'm primarily cozy spatial. I know about me when I'm sitting in my workspace, one of the most important things for me is I have to be comfortable. 
So that was the other part that I was going to talk about when it comes to setting up your productivity space is that you have to, it has to be a comfortable space for you, meaning your chair has to be comfortable. The location of your workspace has to be comfortable. There's some people that can work with a whole bunch of hubbub going on around them. There's some people that absolutely need quiet, right? So if you have that kid that's like, and it's at, believe it or not, it's actually very rare where kids want to be sequestered in a whole other space of the house while they're doing their homework. They usually want to be in the, most of the time it's in the living room or in the, the kitchen area, right? But every once in a while you get that kid that's like, I can't, I have to be sequestered in my bedroom because I need that quiet time. And that's fine too. So, so that's what it really comes down to is you have to figure out about yourself. You know, do you need to be comfortable in order to be productive? Do you need, what's your lighting like that you have to be productive? And as far as the technology piece that's rolled into this, one of the things I'm a real big proponent of is using background noise when you're like using some sort of music. I actually, me personally, when I'm working in my workspace, I personally turn on uh, binaural beats. I'm a big fan of binaural beats. And it's so funny because I'll I'll let my boyfriend sometimes listen to it. I'll put my headphones on his head and I'll be like, this is what I'm listening to right now. And it makes him feel insane. (laughs) But like, it totally puts me in a zone. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, actually, one of the companies that I work with, they're focused on a, you know, stigma-free treatment for mental health. And one of the, and it's an app and one of the, they have a whole set of binaural beats, but it's layered with music and mm-hmm. subliminal messaging that basically gets you thinking positively. It's, you know, it can counter suicidal ideation. It can counter addiction thoughts. It can, I mean, all kinds of, it's really, really, the binaural beats is an incredibly powerful tool. And I mean, I incredibly use it sometimes powerful. just to help me fall asleep. But I mean, I've heard them, just the raw binaural beats. I don't think I could listen to that. So, but, but what <laughs> yeah, they've done is the they layer down. it with music <laughs> and it's actually pleasant to listen to. It's more, you know, it's sort of like a meditation, but it, it's 20 minutes. So you just relax and listen to the music. And right. meanwhile, your brain is being reprogrammed. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of nice. Very effective. Yeah, very, very effective. effective. And in times like this, it's very important. I think it's a, it's a very powerful tool that is so accessible. And people are really struggling right now with whether yeah. it's just getting focused, which obviously is the productivity piece or whether it's, you know, countering anxiety, stress, or suicidal ideation, or whatever it is. I mean, I think people are really struggling with whether it's they're in the space that doesn't work well for them, or, and, and for a lot of people, they need, they feel panicked that they're, you know, stuck in a space. And so I think combination of that kind of work and what you're doing can be really helpful for alleviating some of that. I want to make sure we go a little bit into, before we run out of time, your, well, two things. One is sort of your workspace, your physical workspace. And I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, everyone is different. Some people can work in a state of chaos. Some people are chaos addicts like myself, and I'm very aware that I'm a chaos addict. So <laughs> I have to, I actually, I, I function better without the chaos, but I tend to create it. So <laughs> at least you're honest. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's more an awareness when I realize when I'm not being productive, I have to look at the chaos around me and at least clear out my workspace so that yeah. I can focus because I, you know, I have a tendency to just, you know, it's everything from like having too many windows open on my, on my browser to having that pile of mail that's sitting there sort of constantly catching my eye of, Oh, I need to deal with that. So what are some of the tips that you can that you can recommend to folks, particularly right now, where 
We are surrounded by a lot of chaos, both internal and external. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you're addressing this because that's the other piece as far as setting up a productive workspace is having a calm workspace. In my work, I've been doing this for a very, very long time. And what I have figured out, the crux of the problem with people when it comes to clutter, when it comes to disorganization, when it comes to productivity is decision-making. And decision-making is an executive function in the frontal lobe of the brain. And what happens is, is that when everybody is stressed out and overwhelmed, you actually compromise that executive function. And decision-making is absolutely crucial in everything we do, especially when it comes to like going through an organizing project, just simply something as simple as, should I keep it or should I let it go? You got to make a decision on that. And if you're so taxed in your brain that you're like a chicken with your head cut off, it's going to be difficult for you. And then what that's going to lead to is procrastination, which is ultimately going to lead up to a buildup of work and a buildup of stuff, right? So really what it comes down to, whether we're talking productivity, whether we're talking just relaxing or whatever, it's creating a calm environment. And when it comes to your workspace, it's really important that when you're sitting at your workspace that your brain can feel as calm as possible so that you can be as productive as possible. So I've actually created a little technique for my clients that can help them. uh, And I use this for myself too. Most of the stuff that I've created that I teach my clients are things that I started for myself. And, you know, I'm, I'm, a di- I'm a big proponent of, you know, walking the talk. So I always, you know, I come up with it, I test it, and then I teach it. And, and I've been practicing these for years. So a little technique that I've personally come up with to help get my brain to a state of calm so I can be more productive, I call it stressed, stop, and sort. And what that is, is you're sitting at your desk and you're going to clear your desk off. And this technique can be done for most people, can be done in about 15 minutes or less. Set a little timer. You'll be amazed when you try this. You'll be just amazed how fast you can actually clear off your desk by applying this. So what you're going to do is you're going to take the stuff that's on your desk and you're going to divide it into three categories. Now you might need to, you know, just a small little plastic, you know, Sterilite bin from Target might do the trick, or you might need a whole entire banker's box to make this happen, but you're going to divide it into three categories. One is stuff that it belongs in that space. So maybe it's like a stapler, maybe, you know, that needs to be put back into the drawer. Maybe it's your notepads that need to be put put back in the drawer. Maybe it's like the marketing materials that is in the, you know, you have a a shelving unit that's in the closet in your office that it doesn't go any in any other room, but it doesn't need to be on your desk. Okay. So the first category is stuff that belongs in the space. The second category is stuff that goes in another room. So maybe you brought that plate that had the ham sandwich on it. That actually sounds really good right now. I had at 10 o'clock in the morning. Who who am I? But it's the plate that belongs in the kitchen. It's the, your child came in and wanted you to read books to them for a couple of minutes. So it's their books. You know, it's the clothing that, you know, the extra jacket that you had on because you were cold when you started your day. Now you need to put that. So get all that stuff that doesn't belong in that room in a whole separate container, box, bin, whatever. And the third is papers. Now I have a system that I created called the prepare to act system that deals with the paperwork that's associated with all the tasks that you're working on. That's a whole other subject in itself, but at least you can clear your desk off. You don't have to have all of those papers. I guarantee you there's those 50 pieces of paper that are sitting on your desk are not anything that needs to be worked on at this minute. I can guarantee you that. So by doing that, you're separating into three categories. What belongs in this room? What belongs in another room? And papers. And you just get it off your desk. And maybe you have the time at that moment to be able to put that stuff away. 
that goes in another room. Maybe you can get up, take a little break, take that box and start, you know, putting stuff in the kitchen and the closet or whatever, but maybe you don't. So you're going to just stage it until you do have that time. It does. This isn't going to work if you put the stuff in the box and you never take it out. <laughs> this is not going to work. <laughs> but again, if you just, it's really just the act of clearing your workspace. And you will notice that when your desk is actually clear, your brain is going to calm down and you're going to be a lot more productive. I love that. And I do think, you know, to put a, a digital context to that, it's using folders and not having a cluttered desktop, because I think that that in itself can be very stressful. I mean, I'm looking at my own desktop right now, and there's a bunch of images that I had to download from a meeting that I was in. And instead of putting them in a folder, they're on my desktop. And so, you know, I see yeah. them out of the corner of my eye. And exactly to your point, to organize those things, take the 15 minutes it takes to, you know, to put those things in folders, close all of the windows that you don't need to have open, shut down the apps that you don't need, that you're not actively using, because they're pulling from your energy, but also the bandwidth. And, and mm -hmm. by bandwidth, just, you know, I mean, right now we're all struggling with bandwidth and, you know, we feel it internally, but we also we see Zoom lagging and, and everything else because, you know, the, there are people that are watching Netflix or there are people doing work at the same time. And so it's really important to use those folders and to shut down or put away what's not necessary right at this moment. And so I, I really, I love that. And I think that it can be applied both in a digital context and a physical context. I mean, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my desk doesn't, I mean, I have a hard time in my house finding paper. It's one of those things <laughs> I have to actually go down to the printer to get a piece of paper. And, and we, we joke about it at my house. Of course, you know, there's the, uh, you know, the things that come in the mail, but we're, you know, our routine is when we're coming from the mailbox, which we only visit once a week because we don't get much mail. And mm. before we even get into the house, all the junk mail, all the flyers and everything go directly into the recycling bin. They don't even come into the house. And so the nice. rest is bills, basically. And there's very few of those because most of those come electronically as well. So, but I think, you know, the point is those are those pieces of paper that you still have that you, that sit there and then you're like, hmm, do I need to deal with that right now? <laughs> so before we go, I want to get a couple different sort of action things that you suggest for people to do, you know, so that pile doesn't just sit and get shifted. And the other thing is sort of what, what is your favorite way of applying this for yourself and what helps you sort of thrive? Because I think putting it into a personal context really helps us bring it home. And I would love to hear that from you. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, like I was saying is all the strategies and systems that I have created, I created them out of necessity for myself. I'm a business owner. I'm a single mom. Finding the time to go and work with my clients and then coming home and then having to take care of a kid. You know, I was basically at the point where I was staying up till two o'clock in the morning, you know, handling a lot of the, the stuff that I couldn't handle throughout the day because I'm working and then I have to take care of my kid. The more that I saw my workload increase, the more stressed out I became. And one thing I've definitely known in doing this work for myself and then with other clients is that the bigger the to-do pile gets, the less you're going to attend to it. And the reason for that is because it becomes more overwhelming. And the more overwhelmed that you are, the more you're going to uh, shut down the decision-making executive function in the frontal lobe of your brain, and you're not going to take action. It's just going to be procrastinate, procrastinate. And then the pile builds, and it's this vicious cycle. Until one day, you're like, you snap, and you're like, ah, and then you got to spend you know, hours, the whole weekend, whatever, getting it all under control. 
So what I finally figured out was, okay, one, I needed to introduce technology. I needed to figure out what could I, of all the work that I'm doing, what can I do from my phone? So that I can do it during the day, like, hey, if I'm standing in line at the bank, or if I just happen to be, you know, out getting a burger or something. I don't know why food's on my mind right now, but I guess I'm hungry. So going out and getting, you know, something to eat and sitting in a restaurant for 30 minutes or whatever, what can I use that time? And, and I realized there was a lot of different technology and a lot of different apps that I could use, you know, something as simple as creating an invoice on the go, you know, instead of waiting until I got home you know, putting my kid to bed. Now it's 10 o'clock at night. Now I could sit on my computer and I can write that invoice. Can I do it from my phone in two minutes or less? So I started looking for all this technology as a way to make what I was doing more efficient. So I wasn't spending this ungodly amount of time. And, and I've come up with some really great tools and apps that I teach to my clients and I personally use to make it that much easier. And then the other thing was I created a system called the prepare to act system. And what this is, is a a system to manage tasks and the related paperwork that goes with this. And this mostly encompasses your incoming mail. So as an example, you get that, well, let me take a step back here. Traditionally, what people do is, let's say, for instance, you get that postcard in the mail from your dentist and it says time for your cleaning. Okay. So now not only do you have to manage that piece of paper that has the dentist's name on it, your address, their phone number, what they're reminding you to do, but you also have to remind yourself to do the task of calling the dentist in the first place. And then you have to remind yourself to go to the dental appointment. And then maybe you also have to do things like, well, they want me to get a root canal. That's going to cost what? What are those things nowadays? Like 700 bucks, something like that. Stupid. But you know, you got to look in your bank account, make sure you got it before they pull that tooth out, you know, whatever. So there's all these different tasks that go along with actually completing that to-do. It's not just this simple, like, let me call my dentist and that's it. It's not that simple. So what happens is, is people will get that postcard along with all their other mail. They'll sit down at their desk. They'll look at it. Like, oh, I got to, I should probably call these guys. Boom. It goes onto the top of the uh, pile along with all the other stuff. And then maybe two weeks later, you're looking through that pile again. You're like, oh yeah, that's right. I I probably should call that guy. And maybe the reason why you weren't calling them is because you had to check your bank account first to see if you had the money, but you didn't put any indication to that to yourself when you got that little postcard that there was all these little pre-steps. All you're doing is keep telling yourself, I got to call that guy. I got to call that guy. I got to call that guy. So every time you look at that piece of paper again, that's all you're thinking to yourself instead of diving down even deeper into all the pre-steps that need to happen before you do that. So again, it just sits on the top of that pile and it grows and it gets overwhelming. So the prepared act system that I've created, it goes along. It's, it's just a really simple system. It's, it's a couple physical pieces. It's just an open file box with hanging file folders like you were talking about, folders, right? And three-tiered stacking tray. So you have a way to, you know, have it, you have an inbox and then you look at the stuff and you're like, oh, well, this just needs to be filed. You put it in the to-be-filed tray. You don't have to file it right now. And then you have your third tray is for the actions that you need to take. The second part about that is it's not just about saying you need to do something. You have to figure out what it is you need to do. So that's the part that I find. It's not the actual picking up the phone and calling. That's the tough part for people to figure out. It's the figuring out all the other little subtasks that go along with it. So if you can, when you first get the mail, just even identify in your piles what needs to be filed versus what needs action. 
versus what needs to be thrown away. If you just do that, in fact, I have a, the, the first step in the system, it's called RAD. I love the word RAD. I'm an 80s child. I've been trying to find ways to use it in my practice and I found a way. So RAD stands for reference, action, discard. So that's the first step. When I tell people to, when they get their mail, just sit down and divide it into three sections, just like you're spelling the word in front of you, R-A-D. So you have a pile of reference, which is your to be filed. You have your pile of action. And we're not figuring out what the action is at this point, but you're just making a distinction between what just needs to be filed away, what needs action, and what you can throw away. Discard is the last one. And in doing that, believe it or not, you will reduce your perceived workload by 50%, because at least 50%, because you'll realize of this pile that you're looking at, half of it can be thrown away. If you're doing that before you even get to the, your desk, great, just like you are, fantastic. But so a lot of people don't. Half that pile can be thrown away. 25% of it needs to be filed, which doesn't take precedence over your tasks. And maybe 25% of that is actually actionable. And the rest of the system goes on how to move that through till it's completed. But that's a really good first step is to make sure your pile doesn't get huge. Just divide it into those three sections. And you'll notice that your perceived workload has been reduced by 50 to 75%. I love that. And I think it's a really good point. And it's, it's very similar or very complementary to some of the things that I've been doing that are around as a behavioral scientist following BJ Fogg's tiny habits. And it's just breaking mm. things down into very breaking actionable. Things down. It's a great way for us to really think about not getting overloaded because if you do break things down, it makes them much more manageable and digestible. And yep. Thank you so much for joining You're me welcome. today. It has been such a treat and learned a lot of great stuff. And I want to make sure that folks can find you. So yeah. if you're looking for Tracy and you want to learn more about her work, you can go to misorganized.com. That's organized with a D. And <laughs> uh, Tracy, what a treat to have you today. I know you're going to be launching a podcast sometime soon too. So we'll be keeping an eye out for that. And just want to thank you, Digital Selfers, for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please make sure you take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review because we want to hear from you and we want to hear more about what you love and what we can do more of. Helps us improve our show and helps the word get out. It's been a pleasure having you on today and we look forward to thank next you. time. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for joining us for The Evolving Digital Self. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app now so that you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, please give us a rating and a review and join the digital self-mastery movement to create more conscious use of technology by sharing it and telling your friends. Want to see where you fit on the digital self-spectrum and how it might be impacting your business and relationships? Get your free copy of Digital Self-Mastery today by clicking on the link in the show notes.